Let's pray. Father, you are good. Wow, what, what, um, what a year can change, Father. The way that you have stirred us, the way that you have shaken the world and the nation and the church. But yet you are still good and you are on your throne and you have a plan. Father, may we be submissive to your plan, but submissive out of joy. Submissive out of abundance, Father. Give us ears to hear today, eyes to see, feet that want to run towards obedience, mind that can comprehend, and a heart that has fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we are continuing in the book of John. We are in John chapter 5 today. But before we kind of get there, does anyone remember when someone first told you that the Bible says that God helps those who help themselves. Anyone ever remember that? Yeah, they're like, God helps those who help, and it was never their self, it was always thy self. They had to get real super spiritual about it as if it was in the New King James. Because then it's more believable. <laughs> Guess what? That is not in the Bible. But what's interesting is how as humans, we over-spiritualize things to maybe rationalize with certain ideas. So in today's scripture, we see that the real heart of God is not God helps those who, can, who helps thyself. God actually helps those who can't help themselves. Isn't that the message of the cross? Jesus helps those who can't help themselves. And that's where I see, see us as a nation again. That's where I see us as a church again. Is we're at this place where we can't figure, we, our, we can't figure out how to get out of this mess. We can't outsmart our way. We can't outplan our way. We can't outwork our way, earn our way. We can't help ourselves anymore. The only way that we do it is to be submissive to the king. That's what we're going to see today. So I want to give you this whole story that we're going to go over in the next couple weeks. I'm going to paraphrase it real quick so we don't have to read the whole thing. Um, and then we'll get into the scripture. So Jesus arrives in Jerusalem during a very, very busy time. It was a Jewish festival. Now, upon getting there, he met an invalid who had been um, coming to this healing pool for about 38 years. Now, um, the belief was that when the water was stirred, that the first one into the pool would be healed. Jesus then, after he meets this invalid who's been there for 38 years, he asks him, and he has the audacity to ask him, do you want to be healed? Interesting question. This man felt like he would never receive his healing because the idea was when the water was stirred, 
You had to be the first one into the pool to receive your healing. So the invalid is like, I'm never going to get healed because I can never be the first one into the pool. Yet, what does Jesus do? He says, um, pick up your mat and walk. Now, this took place on the Sabbath. There's many Sabbath rules. And um, because this took place on the Sabbath, the Pharisees didn't like that. Um, the Pharisees accused the invalid of breaking the law of the Sabbath because what he ended up doing then is being healed and then not just being healed, but now he's carrying his mat. <laughs> and he's been accused of breaking the law because he's carrying his mat made of straw. Come on. A dude just got healed. He's been here for 38 years, and you've known he's been here for 38 years. Even if you've been here a year, you've known he's been here for at least 52 weeks. You know that he's an invalid, yet now you're accusing him of breaking the law because he just got healed and walking away. Now, what's interesting is after this dude's healing, the invalid accused Jesus for... Um, the invalid accused Jesus for healing him. Well, this Jesus healed me. <laughs> Instead of, this Jesus healed me, praise him, it was, no, I'm going to point to him. Jesus did wrong. So Jesus scampered out of there, snuck behind the crowd, and went on to his own business. And then later, a couple hours later, sees this man carrying his mat and tells him, go and sin no more, or something worse will happen to you. Interesting, isn't it? We'll get into that next week. The Jewish, leader, um, the Jewish leaders catch up with Jesus and persecute him because of him healing on the Sabbath. They um, then tried to kill him because he says something really interesting. He says, um, God was his father, making himself equal to God. So they tried to kill him. So what we're going to see from here over the next few chapters in John is a significant shift in the way that the Jews and Pharisees look at who Jesus is. A shift to where it was kind of you were an annoyance or somewhat were interested in you to now we want to kill you because of these stories that we're going to see in the next few chapters. They had questions for him, but now it's just straight opposition. So if you have your Bibles, John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. So sometime, we have to look at that word, right? So after what? Sometime after what we read last week, right? The woman at the well, and then that was, after that was what? What did we read about last week? Anyone remember last week's sermon? Go to the end of John chapter 4. Somebody? 
the healing of the official son. What did you say, Dave? <laughs> that works. So the healing of the official son. So sometime after the healing of the official's son, what we don't really understand is how long that was. So was it three days? Was it three weeks? Some theologians say it could have been one year. Either way, um, sometime after the Jesus healed this boy, Jesus, or sorry, John didn't say um, necessarily the length because the length didn't matter, right? John didn't find it important to say the length. But John is very vague with some of these details right now. And one of the other things that he's really vague with is they're in town for one of the Jewish festivals. So other times throughout his book, we see him be very specific. It was this festival, it was that festival. But right here, John is not specific, he's very vague. He just says, one of the Jewish festivals. Which one? We don't know. John didn't think it mattered to let us know which Jewish, Jewish, Jewish festival it was. Because the story that he's trying to teach us and share with us didn't um, need to be interpreted through that festival. Make sense? If we knew what, which festival it was, then we might be trying to add or subtract a few of the details. John's like, the festival's not the main point here, so don't worry about which one it was. Now, what it, why did he want us to know that there was a festival? Because he wanted us to know that right now, in Jerusalem, there was more people than there typically are. A lot more. Maybe 10 times more people are here in Jerusalem. So let's go to verse 2. Now, there was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which, is, uh, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five five colored, uh, covered colonnades. Now, many people suspect that the Sheep's Gate was a place where um, sheep were kept outside, but they were located near the pool of Bethesda. So just a gate over here. Sheep are right there in a gate, kept right there by a pool, and why were they by the pool? Because the sheep, before they were sacrificed, need, needed to be washed and cleansed and then taken to sacrifice, right? So that's why they suspect that Sheep's Gate was near Bethesda, the pool. But Bethesda is known as the house of mercy or flowing water. So this pool, that's kind of what it was known for. It was a pool that was around two to three feet deep, and the complete size of it is really debated, but they said maybe 30 to 40 feet wide. So, bare minimum, the pool was no bigger than the sanctuary, right? And you'd have these invalids who would always stand 
around it. Lay around it, be around it, sleep around it, live around it. Now the five colonnades were often used as a place of shelter for them. Remember, they were covered. So the people who couldn't help themselves would use it as a bridge or a place. And the legend was that they were waiting there for the water to be stirred to get healed. Keep that in mind. Now, the five colonnades, um, what's interesting about them is there's many people who try to get symbolic about it. But um, some people suggest that they represented the five books of Moses. Other people have other ideas, but um, that's not important for us. Just to get the idea right now that the sheep gate, the sheep were there and they would be washed in this pool. And um, this pool was two to three feet deep. Verse three. Here a great number of people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. So many people suggest that at a normal, normal day, normal time, normal season for the pool of Bethesda, they would have 300 people sitting around this pool. Now, I don't think the pool was as big as the sanctuary. But could you imagine 300 people, lame people, paralyzed people, invalids, laying around our sanctuary? It would be a completely different atmosphere. So during a typical day, that's what they would see. People waiting for the water to be stirred to try to get in there and get healed. But we have to look back to verse 1, right? We're in a season of a festival. So what does that mean? Right now, there's not 300 invalids. Much of what I've studied said there was probably 3,000 invalids around this pool. Now imagine that scene. A pool the size of our sanctuary, probably much smaller, with 3,000 people who can't help themselves around it waiting for the water to be stirred. Now, what's really interesting is, um, how many of you guys ever go on Black Friday shopping? And you're going to get that 85-inch TV because it's such a great deal. Or the whatever, the PlayStation 10. So you, you get up, you get, uh, you get up early, or you never go to sleep, you go to Best Buy, and then when you get there, you're like, well, the line's wrapped around the building. Guess what? I'm not even going to Best Buy anymore. Because the 85-inch TV that I wanted, there's no way that I'm going to be able to get what I wanted. Anyone ever done that? You go to McDonald's after church, and you're like, yeah, that line's way too long. I'm just going to go home. Can I get a witness? And then you get home, and then you have to cook something, which is 45 minutes. And then you burn it, right? So you might as well just stayed in line to get your fish filet. I'm saving you some time today. Be more efficient. Chipotle, you go in there, they're just great service. In and out in five minutes. Either way, Imagine that scene, 3,000 people. Why would 3,000 people stay there? Because, be, be, because they're people who, who can't help themselves, and most of them had to be carried to the place. 
Most of them had to be led to the place. So if one person, according to the legend of this scripture, if one person can hop in or the first person who hops in the water gets to be healed, if you're at the back of the room, why would you ever, why would you even be there? Could you imagine what the scene would look like? Working with people who, um, who can't help themselves. Um, man, praise God for people who help them, who look out for the least of these. But some of these people are just laying here by themselves. Could you imagine the noise, possibly the fights, trying to get closer to the pool? The arguments, the smell of 3,000 people just being in a uh, small space. So a great number of dis disabled people um, would lay here, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. They wanted to be healed. Now, how many of your Bibles, real quick, if you have, have them, how many of your Bibles have verse 4 in them? Just raise your hand. You have verse 4. How many, how many of yours does not formally have verse 4, but it has some kind of notation by it? Anyone have a notation in their Bible? Now, I prefer the notation in the Bible. Um, this, is where, this is where I believe man's rationale started to get in. Man's rationale started to get into the Bible, and I'm going to try to let, um, let you, uh, I'm going to try to help you understand why today. So verse 4, which was not in my Bible, but I added it in here because in many Bibles it is, or in some Bibles it is. Now, I want to note this. The original manuscripts did not have verse 4 in it. What ended up having is just a little bit later, man started to have to try to rationalize with why people were around the pool and why the water was stirred. So they decided that they would add in some Bibles and then note verse 4 in others. So I'm telling you today, just I don't believe that verse 4 is real. And I'm going to help you understand why. I'm going to read it. Um, verse 4. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after, e sorry, after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. Man, do we have a tendency to over-spiritualize things. Now, for those who have it in your Bible, you're like, but it's in my Bible. Why are you trying to tell me it's not my Bible? Do not add or subtract anything from the Bible, Joey. What we have to understand is this verse is, number one, um, highly scrutinized and has been debated. Number two, you always interpret Scripture with Scripture. So that's what I'm going to try to help you do as we go through the next several moments is interpret verse 4 with the entirety of Scripture. So, here's what we know for sure. Let's look at this, investigate it. Here's what we know for sure. The water was stirred. P 
period that happened. The water was stirred. You could go to verse 7 if you wanted to, and you could see that the water was stirred for sure. Now, it said that this pool was fed by large reservoirs called Solomon's Pools. It's also said that on occasions, this pool could have been fed by springs, which could have caused the disturbance. So that could be, that could be us, right? I was uh, in a meeting once. I'm going to help you understand how we over-spiritualize things. I'm in a meeting, 40 people. We're worshiping, and we're caught up in, in the moment. And we're all worshiping, and we're all praising, and eyes are closed, and most people are trying to engage or putting on the, the um, posture of engaging. I can't talk for their heart. So I'm worshiping and I'm praying and I'm trying to engage God. And then I hear a piano. Now look, we had no piano in the room. Just hear this piano. Bum, 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 bum. I'm like, man, that's really good piano. But then I'm like, someone better turn off their phone. <laughs> because now that piano is starting to get annoying. But we're all in the moment. So then afterwards, after this moment, we gave the opportunity. Hey, did God move? And it wasn't at this church. Did God move? Was God moving? Did God speak anything to you? And then someone said, yeah, God spoke to me. While we were worshiping, I heard heaven open up. And I heard an angel playing the piano. And I'm like, what? And looked at the dude next to me and I'm like, what? And then another person said, I heard the same thing. And then another person, me too, me three. Come on. I want the real thing. I'm serious. I want the real thing of God. I don't have time to over-spiritualize and make things up. So later after the meeting, and everyone's done over-spiritualizing everything, the woman whose phone it was went off again. Praise God. <laughs> Guys, it was my phone. I want the real thing. Who wants the real thing? I don't want to sit around a well or a pool and get the fake thing. I want the authentic reality of who Jesus Christ is. And as I... I think I shared this before, you know, months later or whatever, we're having someone come through and, and they're praying for all of our leadership. And there's like leadership and family and friends come. So there's like 50 people. I want the real thing. This person falls down. That person falls down. This person falls down. Everyone's falling down. I said, God, you do what you wish, but your will be done in my life, not my will. Because it looks like that person, just knowing who they are, they went back. They aided in it. And I want to see transformation after you guys fall down anyways. I want to see your life change. 20 people, and I'm standing there. Down, 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 down. God, I want the real thing. 
I'm not going to over-spiritualize anything. I want the real thing. I think there's an R&B song about that as well. I can't sing it, but it gets to me. Hand on my head. I get a little bit of a push. Here I am. Next person. Down, 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 down. 40 people. I'm the only one standing. How humiliating, right? Mm-mm. Because I want the real thing. There's a tendency that we start to see within this scripture and when this scripture was added is that within our rational minds, we have to try to figure out why things are happening when in reality, we just don't have to. So what they're trying to figure out or what they're trying to say is the pool of Bethesda is anointed and an angel comes from heaven and stirs it up and if you get in there first, you get healed. I believe that explicitly contradicts what the rest of the word of God says. And I will not stand at this point of my life with anyone who wants to preach this as truth. Here's why. Um, well, I'll just get into a little bit of Bethesda, a little bit more. Um, it was said that it was, it was a calibiate pool, so there were a lot of minerals in there, so it was turning red a little bit. So again, over-spiritualizing. We got bubbling and we got redness in this pool. Plain and simple, the water, the water had occasions by which it was stirred. That's what happened. Likely by a spring. But as for an angel stirring the water, I will not preach that. Um, due to debates with scholars and how it explicitly opposes the heart of God. Now, how does it oppose the heart of God? First, I do not recall anywhere in Scripture as I was planning this where angels were the source of the healing. I don't recall them. Maybe, maybe there is something that I missed this week, last week. I don't recall the angel being the source. Jesus was always the source. Or his apostles who prayed in Jesus' name with the power and the authority. They were the healing, but it wasn't, Jesus, or it wasn't um, the angels. In early culture, there was a group of people who tried to reason with the bubbling. They were over-spiritualizing the bubbling. At best, I think it's just a wise tale. To me, this seems to be a local tradition that actually was a demonic practice disguised in good. So please do not preach to anyone that angel stirred the water. I believe that it was a demonic occult practice. If you go into a little bit deeper study of it, how they tried to mystify it and make it into something that it wasn't, this bubbling was just natural bubbling that they tried to worship. So that's reason number one. Number two is the heart of God has never been about earning your healing. 
Where in Scripture do you see that God, the heart of God, that Jesus says, hey, the first I'm going to heal. If you can get into the pool, I will heal you first. Or I will heal you. Imagine being the invalid. You can't move. You can't talk. You can't see. You can't communicate. Maybe the only reason you're there is because a stranger brought you there. Right? Maybe that was it. You couldn't help yourself, so a family member or a friend brought you there. <laughs> they got errands to run. They got to go to Whole Foods or Aldi's. So they drop you off and they say, um, help yourself. Imagine being that invalid, trying to get into the pool. You couldn't do it. How in the world could one ever see God's mercy and healing if they had to make it to the pool first? What a cruel perspective of God. This is absolutely against the heart of God. Why? Because Jesus didn't send, sorry, God didn't send Jesus so that we could have a race to be the first person into the pool. Amen? So we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture here. And let's take it a little bit deeper. God didn't send Jesus um, for the first one into the pool to be saved. Could you imagine if it was a race? If it was a race to get into a pool to be saved? You know what that, that would actually create? Look, sh straight up honesty. If, if the only way that I could be saved is to be the first one into a pool, some people would die. Right? Tell me you wouldn't kill someone to make sure that you had eternal life. <laughs> it would happen. People would be dying in arguments and fights. This completely contradicts what we understand Scripture as. So if you want to take a point today, Jesus came for all. We need a reminder of that every week. Jesus came for everybody. 2 Corinthians 5.15 and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. He wants all of us to be saved and he wants all of us to come to the truth. Therefore, if it was just a stirring of a water to receive his grace, that completely contradicts Jesus. Amen? Do you guys see that? Is it clear to you or just clear to me? Now, here's another reason. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You're familiar with it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, 
so that no one may boast. It's not, um, it's not of your own doing. Not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works. If it's a race to the pool, it's a result of works, isn't it? I need some feedback. Anyone sleeping today? If it's a race to the pool, it's about works, isn't it? Thank you. Participating church. So because Jesus died for all, because it's not about works, because it's not a race to the pool, that's why I believe there's not a chance that an angel stirred the water because it explicitly goes against the heart of God. The angel stirring the pool idea definitely teaches a works gospel. And that's about the person's ability. When the true gospel is about God helping those who can't help themselves. And I need help today. Amen. If you want to write another point down, point two, God came to help those who couldn't help themselves. It's never been earn your salvation. It's never been the first um, shall receive their reward. You guys remember that scripture too? The first shall be first and those who are second are last. Because if you're not first, you're last. Ricky Bobby. That's not the way we see it in Scripture. It's always been the lost, the hurting, the orphans, the widows, the sick, the lost. It's always been Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are those who are willing to surrender. Not the first. Blessed the poor in spirit. It's always been Matthew 10, sorry, 20, 16. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. You starting to see why this angel thing starting to just be anti-biblical already? Because when we interpret Scripture with Scripture, we understand it. It's not supposed to be here. Now, there's, th- there's seasons or times when we read Scripture that we're like, does that oppose what this person said? And it really doesn't. This very spe- uh, specific Scripture I can come at with such confidence because it's been debated amongst theologians for a long time, right? It's it's one of those scriptures that we see um, has a notation beside it that says some Bibles might not have it. So I'm just not picking a random scripture here and deciding to say, "I'm I'm, I'm going to attack it and tell you why it was added to the Bible. I'm coming after a scripture that many people have already notated as likely not biblical, so the last will be first and the first shall be last if God sent an angel to stir the water it would completely go against the purpose of Jesus God would have been a cruel father to allow his son to die on a cross while someone could just run to a pool for their blessing 
Amen? That would be a cruel father. That's not the father that I know. That's not, Jesus, or that's not, the, that's not God that I know. Simply put, they had to have an explanation for the stirring up. You guys better be able to teach someone that after the past 20 minutes, amen? Verse five. One who was there had an, oh, sorry. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. Some people uh, take that 38 years and point it back to Deuteronomy with the time in the wilderness. I'm not gonna go there today. Um, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? That's a good question, isn't it? Do you want to get well? Do you really want to get well? Because imagine this guy's life. He's been there his whole life, 38 years, or he's been coming to this pool for 38 years. I guess we really don't know his exact age. He's been coming to the pool for 38 years, wanting to be, get healed. Maybe he was there every day. Maybe he was only brought there during times that they thought the water would be stirred. Who knows if it was every day or if it was quarterly or what it was, but for 38 years, he's been coming. He's been affected for 38 years. You know, there's some things in your life that you keep on doing that you don't want to let go of. Right? See, because if this man who's been there for 38 years gets healed, what does that change for his life? Everything. See, this guy now has to get a job. This guy now has to be the man that he convinced himself he was if he could walk. There comes more responsibility for this man if he doesn't have to live off the donations of other people. If made well, he would have a whole new level of responsibility. You see that? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? I want to get well. And with me getting well, it has to mean that I have to move past things uh, when Jesus brings healing to me. Amen? Amen? Jesus walking through this crowd of 3,000 invalids who needed a healing, who desired a healing, essentially what he was doing as he was walking through, as he was waiting for the Father to move, I mean, there were just a ton and a half of people. I have on my notes tons, but that would be a lie. So a ton and a half of people, or a ton. A ton to a ton and a half. Who have needs there. Or a baker's dozen. There was a baker's dozen. So um, Jesus is sifting through all these people. <laughs> I remember um, going to certain conferences when I was young in my faith and the pastors walking around or the evangelist and you're just sitting in the crowd hoping that he points to you. You know, you're just sitting there like, pick me, pick me, pick me, pick me. 
give me a prophetic word. Anyone ever been to a conference where they're just like, man, I want the pastor to call me out? Thank you. So Jesus is walking through this crowd, looking at people, sifting through what's the Father doing? What's God doing? And then he makes eye contact with a guy who's been an invalid for 40 years, almost 40 years. So what I want to tell you is this, is mercy concerning others depends on how you see them. That's important for us to hear today. See, the way that you interact with people on the street in Columbus, at Kroger, at Aldi's, in your workplace, within your home, your mercy concerning that person depends on how you see them. It's important we see this because Jesus saw this man and was immediately moved to help because of his condition. Now you say, why wasn't he moved to help the ton and a half other people? Because he's waiting on the Father to stir his heart. So he's walking through, patiently waiting, and he makes the eye contact and he finds him. See, this principle of Jesus having compassion on this man, that's what ended up happening. Jesus was moved by compassion amongst all the other people. Jesus was moved for compassion for this one. And that's what we talked about kind of in our Bible study this morning, is God will speak to you as your heart is moved by compassion for other people. Amen? So you say, how do I know that God's speaking to me? You're going to be in a situation where um, your heart becomes compassionate for one person. I want to share this illustration with you about a time that um, some of you are familiar with it, others of you not, um, where I was moved by compassion. And if I've shared it with you, most of y'all probably forgot it anyways. Can I get a witness? <laughs> so what ended up happening is... Uh, just start raising your hands and doing dances if you've heard the story. Macy and I, we want to, or her, her parents are like, hey, go pick out a movie for us, a blockbuster. <laughs> I see you, Scott. I didn't see you dancing, though. <laughs> yeah. So Macy's parents are like, hey, I want you to go to Blockbuster. I want you to go to Blockbuster and pick us out some movies. Well, what do you want? And he says, get this movie or get that movie. So we go there, and we walk in immediately, 20-year-old Joey. We walk in immediately, and this older gentleman, gray hair, with what appeared to be his spouse, immediately made my heart break. Immediately I walk in there, and my heart just breaks. I'm like, what in the world? Why is my heart breaking? And certainly, God, you're not going to embarrass me in front of my girlfriend. Like, I haven't even locked her up yet. Once you lock her up, you can be embarrassing. So I'm walking around and we're looking at the movies. And my heart is still moved by compassion. Look, it's Friday night. There's a lot of people in Blockbuster. 
moved by compassion. So we're looking and we're looking and we're moving through the aisles, really the outside aisles. If you get movies on the inside of Blockbuster, you can't be trusted. <laughs> you only get movies on the outer rim. So <laughs> I'm looking at movies, looking at movies, looking at movies, acting like I'm looking at movies, and then Macy, Macy, Macy finally does this. What is wrong with you? I'm like, nothing, woman, I'm fine. Leave me alone. I'm looking at movies. So we go back to the next movies. You want this one, and I just don't even hear it. My heart, like, God, what would I do for this guy? What would I say to this guy? How can I help this guy? I really don't even have any money for this guy. I'm like, what would I do? How could I help it? But my heart just keeps on breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking. And then finally we get up in the line. Again, it's a packed night. There's like eight couples um, at least. So the whole zigzags back. We didn't even have to socially distance. So I'm standing there. We're getting ready to check out. And that man with his, what appeared to be spouse, is sitting at the cashier. Um, or standing with the cashier. And the receipt is printing. So what I did is I said, I'm going to say a prayer. I'm going to say a prayer so that I can get off the hook to clear my conscience. So here's what I prayed. I said, God, since I already know the receipt is printing, if you want me to talk to this man about you, he'll get Reese pieces. <laughs> I set myself up to win. He's got the receipt. And here's what I realize, is you better be a big baller if you're buying food from, from uh, Blockbuster. Because you're spending like $5 on a pack of Reese pieces or Reese cups or Starburst that you can go to Speedway and get for 87 cents. So I'm really setting myself up. So then the cashier says, Sir, by the way, you get one more candy with your value meal. And I'm like, oh, come on. Who gets value meals, these value deals, at Blockbuster? But I was still smart. I set myself up to win. Because humans, we don't like human interaction. We don't like telling people to scoot over or excuse me. So when I picked Reese Pieces... I picked where this dude would have to walk through all the people or say, excuse me, all the way at the bottom. It was like the hardest thing that, that could happen. It wasn't the big display of starbursts that tries to brainwash you to get them. It was the Reese pieces. So the wife, and my heart's palpitating at this point. That's what's wrong with me. Loss of brain or blood to the brain. So... I'm palpitating, and Macy's just like, whatever. This dude's weird, probably going to break up with him after this. <laughs> he can't even pick out a movie. So I'm freaking out. I'm like, so then the wife says, hey, let's just get Starburst. I'm like, yes. Yes. And she says, uh-uh. No, the husband said, mm -mm, I want Reese pieces. I'm like, you're not going to go pick them up, though. Just because you said it doesn't mean you're going to get them. You're not going to be able to find them, are you? Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Reese pieces. 
Guess what he did? Got his Reese's Pieces, walked out the door, and I didn't say a word to him. I missed it. Not only did I miss it with him, I missed identifying with Jesus with my girlfriend. I missed wrestling through what my emotions were doing. So all the way home, I'm driving and I'm frustrated that I didn't do it. And we get in Macy's parents' driveway and we're sitting there and my lights were on. I said, Macy, I can't hold it back anymore. Here's what happened. And I explained the whole story to her in a much shorter version. And I said, I heard that when they were walking out that they were going to the Chinese restaurant to pick up food. I'm driving back to Urbana to see if I can find them. There's only two. Unless you know the secret underground one. You guys know about that one? It's called, um, I couldn't even come up with a name. <laughs> the Great Underground Dragon. <laughs> On North High in uh, Urbana. So either way, I drive to the Great Wall. No one's there. I drive to the buffet. No one's there. I missed it. But you know what God was teaching me? That he's going to speak to me. And he's going to make me know when he's speaking to me because I'm going to be moved by compassion. Moved by compassion. Don't miss those moments where God moves you by compassion. And if you want to hear God's clearer, if you want to hear God's voice clearer, start moving on those compassion moments and then watch him show up. So I shared that story with you just to illustrate that, that Jesus was moved by that kind of compassion with this person. That's how he knew how to identify who the Father wanted to bring healing to that day. And you say, how could I be used? How do I hear God's voice? God is going to move you by compassion. Now you know what happens is there's compassion, and then guess what else there is? Selfishness. And if God continually makes you compassionate, and you just continually be selfish and greedy, then you're never going to be moved by the Spirit. So greed, often greed will always confront my compassion. Either way, um, Jesus saw this man and was immediately moved to help because of his condition. This principle is furthered in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So you see how mercy concerning others depends on how we see them. We have all been there once or twice in our life where we've been irritated with certain people around us. We've all been in certain situations before where I say, I hope I don't have to talk to that person or this person. Or when I go to the store, I hope I don't see someone. Anyone ever been there? Let's just be honest. How many of you guys have ever saw me at a store and ran from me? <laughs> Do you want to ask the question back? 
Now, I don't see anyone in this room currently that I've ran from. But I'd be a liar if I said I haven't gone the other direction on someone once before. Just being honest. <laughs> um, I always want to be truthful, and I mean that. Um, I know we can joke at it, but... Um, We've all been in situations where we didn't want to talk to people. Where people have been annoying to us, where we've been agitated and irritated. But when Jesus saw these people, he saw them as harassed, helpless, and like sheep without a shepherd. The way that Jesus saw them dictated the way that he interacted with them. Which also, not in the notes, but that also means the way that Jesus sees me is the way he interacts with me. So we better get back to the revival and say, God, I need you. Either way, it was the way that he saw people that made him move. And I want to ask you this question today. How are you seeing people in this room today? How are you seeing people in this world today? How are you seeing people at your work tomorrow? The way that you see people dictates the mercy that you have or the compassion that you have on them. Be moved by compassion. Amen? So the first part of the story, we discovered that Jesus came for um, the people who are unable to help themselves. Jesus then sets the example of mercy through compassion. So today, we're gonna pray that God would give us his eyes so that we would be moved by compassion. Amen? And we're wrapping it up. That's it. Signed, sealed, delivered. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, will you give us hearts for those around us Will you move us by compassion? Father, when you stir up in us compassion for someone else, may we just say hello to you. May we say just, sorry, just say hello to them. Speak clearly to us this week. May we desire your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I also realize this, you will be rejected. Um, you will re be rejected sometimes. Other times, you receive it great, greatly, so, uh, or bigly. So God bless you guys, and um, see you next week. <laughs>